Last night, Lizzo made history. Lizzo twerked and played James Madison's crystal flute from the 1800s. It was historic. So was the Hindenburg. So was the conquest of Constantinople. Not all historic events are good or praiseworthy. I actually kind of like Lizzo. I do. I know. I know it's not popular on the right. I like Lizzo. I think her music is somewhat catchy. The outfits, uh, not, not my thing, but the music, somewhat catchy. And as far as modern musical artists go, I stan her, okay? She is a surprisingly skilled flautist. All of that is true. But Lizzo should not have been given special permission to play James Madison's flute for two reasons. First one, because Lizzo is not dignified. She could be dignified if she wanted to be, but she is not. And it is degrading to our nation for a lady simultaneously to twerk and jiggle and degrade herself and to play an historical artifact that belonged to the father of the Constitution. Second, Lizzo should not have been given special permission to play the flute because the entire performance was intended as an act of hostility toward James Madison, toward the founding fathers, and toward the historical American nation. I don't think Lizzo intended it as a hostile act, but the libs generally did. The New York Times reported, quote, it was a symbolic moment as Lizzo, a hugely popular black singer, rapper, and songwriter, played a priceless instrument that once belonged to a founder whose Virginia plantation was built by enslaved black workers. And the flute had been lent to her by Carla D. Hayden, the first African-American and woman to lead the Library of Congress. In other words, the performance was not to be an honor. It was set up and seen as an act of revenge against a no-good, long-dead racist and the, the nation that he represents. It was set up and reported as an act of liberation by a self-described victim of oppression. I don't know <laughs> what a uh, music video for good means, but I do know what your vote means, and that's a lot. Your vote means everything to me. It means everything to making a change in this country. So remember when you're voting for your favorite artists, vote to change some of these laws that are oppressing us. Now Lizzo, of course, is not oppressed. And our founding fathers were not oppressors. The country they established is not evil. And both the men and the country deserve better than to be mocked with a twerk. I'm Michael Knowles, this is The Michael Knowles Show.
Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Gerardo Leon, who says, if you or a loved one received the COVID vaccine, you may be entitled to compensation. I know this is going to be the commercials in 10 years, 20 years. It's it's going to be the mesothelioma commercials of the 2040s. Except that Big Pharma was able to give itself such incredible liability protections while it was peddling those the COVID vaccines on us, the totally safe and totally effective vaccines. They got so many legal protections, they actually probably won't be held liable. But maybe that should have been the first warning. <laughs> hey, why is Big Pharma getting all of these special protections if people get injured by the vaccine when they tell us it's totally safe and effective? I don't know. You got to protect yourself, okay? You got to protect your family, your home. When you want to protect your home, you got to check out Ring. Right now, head on over to ring.com slash Knowles. You know, this is the busy season. I'm traveling constantly. I just got back from a trip, but I can rest easy because I can count on the protection of Ring Alarm. You might be saying, Ring? I thought that was the video doorbell company. Yes, it is. They have a great video doorbell. You can see and speak to whoever is at your door, no matter where you are in the world. Well, they've got Ring Alarm as well. It's the award-winning home security system with available professional monitoring when you subscribe. Best of all, you can easily install it yourself. Even I can do it. It's Michael-proof. And Ring didn't just stop there. They changed the home security game And then they changed it again with Ring Alarm Pro. So Ring Alarm Pro allows you to protect not just your physical home, but your digital home as well. Think about how much of your life you spend online. Well, Ring Alarm Pro protects the doors and the windows and the physical place, but also your data, your internet, your Wi-Fi. This season, you got to become a pro. Go pro just like me with Ring Alarm Pro. Learn more at ring.com slash Knowles. That's ring.com slash Knowles. Speaking of women with is in their names, how's that? I think that might be my greatest transition ever. Speaking of women with is in their names, the climate change activist Izzy Cook has uh, just accidentally on television exemplified the, the hypocrisy at the heart, not just of the environmentalist movement on the left, but of the left broadly. So we would have to apply to have, like, approved events to be able to fly for? Well, that's one thing that you could look at doing. Am I allowed to go to Fiji? Is that necessary? In the current climate crisis, I don't think that that's necessary. When was the last time you were on a plane? Mm, I'm not sure. Maybe a few months ago, to be honest. Where'd you go? Fiji. Is he? <laughs> Izzy, don't you care about the climate, Izzy? Of course I care about the climate. Not enough. You went to... <laughs> you went to Fiji. <laughs> Izzy, come on, mate. Are you serious? serious? <laughs> Are you serious, Izzy? This is, of course, the way to respond to all of the alarmism, all of the hysterics about how the world is going to end. You just sort of laugh at it. Because you can say, obviously the libs don't believe this. If the libs believed that getting on an airplane was going to destroy the entire world, then they wouldn't do it, or they're just stone-cold psychopaths. But they do it. They do it all the time, and so we don't need to take it seriously. The whole Davos crew that tells us that we need to go eat bugs and we have to stop living, and we have to live in tiny little pods, and we can't have meat, and we can't go work, and we can't travel, and we can't drive a car, and we can't do anything anymore. That same crew, they all fly private jets halfway across the world to go on a fun ski vacation with a bunch of other elites. 
around the world, okay? And so we don't need to take that seriously as a, as a matter of uh, life or death for the world. We do have to take it seriously as a political movement, but we, we need to start examining the real motivations here. Why, why is it that uh, these very wealthy, powerful, influential people want to peddle the climate change stuff? Is it because they really believe in it? Most of the time, I don't think it is. Most of the time, I think it's a power play. It gives them more power, the technocracy more power, the international institutions more power, the handful of corporations that are wielding a lot of influence on those other institutions. It gives them a lot more power. Think about it with COVID. Why did the most powerful interests in the country push to shut down the country during COVID? Is it really because they thought that everyone was going to die if we were closer than six feet away from one another and we took that little hanky off our face? No, of course not. Because all of those people regularly would take the little hanky off and they would violate all the rules and Gavin Newsom would show up to the French laundry and these CEOs and the oligarchs and the masters of the universe would routinely, regularly violate their own COVID rules when they thought that the cameras weren't rolling. So what is it? Is it just is it just hypocrisy or is it just a failure to live up to their standards? No, I think there's a little bit more than that. Think about COVID. COVID represented the largest transfer of wealth from the lower classes to the upper classes ever in the entire history of the world. Very often, there are, there are financial motivations and power politics motivations. I was just in the Bronx yesterday. I was in this old, wonderful neighborhood I've been going to in since I was a very little kid, we would do our grocery shopping there. And I don't know, maybe being around those Italian Americans, it gives you a little bit more of an edge. And you, you, you know, it gives you a little bit of that sense of, hold on, what's really at play here? Is someone really trying to pull one over on us? And so I think you got to just laugh at it, okay? You got to laugh at it. Then you got to examine where the real motivations are. And then you, you've got to be much better armed to, to fight back against them. I mean, especially with COVID, they were pushing this thing so, so preposterously with such determination. Joe Biden now, as Floridians were preparing for the arrival of Hurricane Ian, Joe Biden was saying the best way to prepare for a hurricane is to go get vaccinated. Let me be clear. If you're in a state where hurricanes often strike, like Florida or the Gulf Coast or into Texas, a vital part of preparing for hurricane season is to get vaccinated now. Everything is more complicated if you're not vaccinated in a hurricane or a natural disaster hits. It's much more complicated, you know, when the, when the twister is coming and it sucks you up and it throws you into the sky and you're spinning around with you, cows and automobiles, you got to make sure that you don't catch COVID. Now, that, that warning from Biden was, was not it's been going viral now because of the, the hurricane that's landing in Florida. It was not specifically for Hurricane Ian. It was for hurricanes broadly, but it's the same broad brush that you're seeing with the whole climate change agenda. Oh yeah, you know, the, the world is going to end. How's the world going to end? Well, it's going to be really hot or it's going to be really cold or it's going to be really rainy or it's going to be really dry or it's going to be really whatever. Do what we, if you want to stop climate change, what do you got to do? Well, you've got to give up some of your political rights. If you want to stop climate change, what do you got to do? You got to give up some of your national sovereignty. If you got to stop climate change, what do you got to do? You got to give up your wealth. You got to shut down a bunch of small businesses. You got to give special, nice handouts and privileges to, coincidentally, all the people in industries that happen to be buddies with the political ruling class. I don't think so. I think that's the sort of thing that we can just laugh at, okay? It's the sort of grandiose pie in the sky fear-mongering and promises that we can just sort of mock. And you're not just seeing it 
from Joe Biden. You're seeing it even from the apparently, ostensibly more lucid Democrats. You're seeing it from, from one of the most normal Democrats in the country, Amy Klobuchar. Senator Amy Klobuchar, the, the sometime presidential candidate for the Democrats, she didn't go very far. She's probably going to try to run again. It probably won't go any anywhere this time either. Amy Klobuchar, who I, I had some respect for because I feel she's one of the more reasonable of the Dems, damning with faint praise perhaps. She just said that if you're concerned about hurricanes, that is why you've got to go out and vote for Democrats. We just did something about climate change for the first time in decades. That's why we've got to win this as that hurricane bears down on Florida. We got to win in the midterms. We understand that. Really distasteful stuff, by the way. People's not only property, but lives are seriously in danger in Florida now. And they're saying, well, if you want to avoid hurricanes, you've got to vote for Democrats. There is one man in the history of the world who can command the weather and the weather listens. Okay, one man, and it ain't Joe Biden. <laughs> it's not even Barack Obama, even though Obama said that when he was elected, that the seas would stop rising, the planet would heal. But no, it's not Obama. There's one guy walked around the earth about 2,000 years ago. The rest of them are just pretending. But that's what they will say. It, it is, for the ones who are sincere about it, it shows the level of hubris on the left. They, they really do believe that they, they can control every single thing under the sun. And for those who are just being cynical and opportunistic, they're making promises that they know they can never keep. They cannot control the weather their predictions almost always are wrong. These are people who have demonstrated extreme incompetence and deceit. And it, it's, it's in many ways the silver lining of COVID is COVID was just this very intense distillation of all the pie in the sky utopian promises that we get from the libs. And it all turned out to be wrong or a lie. It was either accidentally wrong or intentionally wrong. And it was a little bit of both from the libs. Either way, I think it, it woke a whole lot of people up to say, man, something is seriously, seriously wrong here. Speaking of a lack of control, Vice Magazine just tried to air a really sort of sympathetic puff piece about the reintegration of sex offenders back into society. And the, the way that this documentary ended, I think, is tells you the entire story. We all out here in this world. And we all got to make it happen. And ain't nothing stopping me. So, like, I'm very hopeful and confident. After this interview, Ashif sent a picture of his penis to our producer. <laughs> oh, man. I love, you've got the platitude. I, I bet, knowing Vice, I bet they really did try to, to make a puff piece about these poor put-upon sex offenders. You know, these guys... Society failed them. If only society, if only this racist, bigoted, oppressive country, society hadn't failed them, then they wouldn't be rapists or whatever. And I, I do think they probably sincerely tried to make that documentary, and then they film it, and it is broadly sympathetic. And then you just get that punchline at the end. Moments after that interview, moments after he, this man recited those platitudes, we're all here, man, we got to get together, you know, and just keep on doing it, man, whatever. Uh, he sent a photo of his genitals to our producer, which reminds us that we need prudence, okay? <laughs> prudence is a virtue that I keep coming back to again and again and again, because the left 
has absolutely no respect for the virtue of prudence, and many people on the right do not either. Sometimes, especially when I'm when I'm discussing a political issue with the more ideological people on the right, the more dogmatic, doctrinal, five bullet points on the back of a napkin manifesto type of people on the right, they'll say, Michael, you need, I, I want to hear the principled ideological argument for why we should ban marijuana, but not tobacco. Let's, I'm just using a, an example. Or I, I want to hear the ideological, principled, rationalist argument for why we shouldn't have gay marriage. Or Michael, I want to hear whatever. And I, I say, you know, I don't need to give you, I, I think I could in many cases, but I don't think that I need to be able to give you this perfect, modern, rationalistic kind of argument for, for my entire political program in society. I think we can, we can use some prudence. I remember when I was a, a student and I got to meet Antonin Scalia, someone asked him about gun control is they said, you know, Justice Scalia, you, you support the Second Amendment, but you think there are some limits here. And I'm not sure that the limits totally jibe with the original understanding of the Second Amendment and the Constitution. And I don't understand why some guns can be banned and other guns are not banned. And how would you determine exactly where that line is on the, the limits of the Second Amendment? And Scalia's answer has stuck with me, and I apply it to so many other issues. He said, how would I determine where the line is on the Second Amendment, very carefully. And this, this answer infuriated the ideologues, and on, certainly on the left, but on the right as well. But that's obviously the right answer. How do we determine these sorts of limits in society? How do we determine when to show mercy to prisoners and, and when to insist upon a little bit more justice, when to go lighter and let them out of prison and reintegrate them into society and say, forget the past, and when to put some guardrails around these people. How do you do that? Very carefully. You do it. How do we determine? Why can't Lizzo play the flute? Lizzo, if you oppose Lizzo playing the flute, you're a racist, sexist. How do you would allow a, some other concert flautist to play that flute? Yes, I probably would. But you won't allow Lizzo. Correct. I don't think Lizzo should play the flute. Well, well, why? Because I look at Lizzo and she's wearing a weird little leotard thing and she's jiggling around half naked and she's, she's just behaving in a way that's not, not dignified. That's actually obscene. Whereas the concert flautist wearing the white tie and tails is behaving in a way that is dignified. And so if I'm talking about a national artifact from the, from the father of the constitution, I don't want that to be degraded by being played while a woman jiggles around on stage. Well, but how define dignity, Michael, define obscenity, Michael. No, I don't have to do that. I don't have to do it because Justice Potter Stewart actually was correct when he said, yes, it is a little tricky to, to define obscenity, but you know it when you see it. You do. We can do that. We have the right to do that in this country, okay, whether the libs want to admit it or not. We have the right to use our, use our prudence, use our wisdom of repugnance, to use a phrase from the bioethicist Leon Cass, and just say, you know, look, I can't totally, there was, the, there was an article that came out last week. It said, why are gay same-sex, well, I, I guess those are the same thing. Why are same-sex incestuous relationships wrong? There's no possibility of procreation there. So that bioethical consideration is off the table. So why is it wrong? 
you know, I, I could give you a, a pithy enough explanation. But before I, before I even would be tempted to do that, because it just is, because it just is, because we all know deep down in our stomachs that that is repugnant. We have a prejudice against that, and that prejudice is good. Prejudice is not always bad. Prejudice is how we all survive. You don't want to be uh, mean or unjust or unfair, but you certainly, we, we have to rely on prejudices and instinct and, and received wisdom, or we'd, we wouldn't be able to do a damn thing in the world. If we had to write a fleshed out rationalist post-enlightenment treatise for everything that we do all day long, we would never be able to do anything at all. How do we, why do we put a lot of safeguards around sex, sex offenders even after they leave prison? Well, because we know that there's a, there's a real risk that they will re-offend. Speaking of crime and punishment, You've, you've heard about the extremist pro-lifers, the domestic terrorists, the threats to our country that the DOJ and the FBI and the Biden administration are warning about. Here's a story you, you probably haven't heard about. There's a man, a 74-year-old man, who shot an 84-year-old pro-life woman as she was canvassing to end abortion. The pro-life lady was not violent she was not creating a public disturbance. She was just a sweet little old lady trying to convince people not to kill their babies. 74-year-old lunatic pro-abortion leftist shoots the woman. Not only is he not in prison right now, not only is he not facing, who knows, one would imagine a serious punishment, life in prison, capital punishment even. Now, he hasn't even been arrested. You remember Mark Houck? We've been talking about him on the show recently. He's the, the pro-life guy who, who was peacefully protesting in front of a, uh, an abortion clinic, and some lunatic leftist comes up, starts screaming at his 12-year-old son. The worst thing Mark Houck did was, I guess, sort of push the guy away from his 12-year-old son. For that, the FBI shows up with 25, 30 agents, rifles drawn, pointed at Mark, pointed at Mark's wife, busts in on the home, seven kids there, absolutely traumatized from this because of Joe Biden's jackbooted Gestapo thugs. But a 74-year-old pro-abortion guy shoots an 84-year-old pro-life lady because she's pro-life. Uh, the FBI's got more important things to do. The FBI's got to go raid the former president's house. The FBI's got to go point guns around the homes of seven poor little kids. It, they, they won't even take a look at that story. Why? Because there are two justice systems. And meanwhile, you have privileged, famous, rich, elite, get away with whatever they want libs claiming to be oppressed in this country. And then you've got pro-lifers. And, there was an 18-year-old conservative who was just murdered, was just run over with a car by a 40-something-year-old insane Democrat. And then what is the Democrat gets $50,000 bond. He can then go free. That's it. That's the way that criminal justice actually works in America. Speaking of the FBI intimidating pro-lifers, there's another one. I promise you, most of you out there have not heard about this story. The FBI is harassing another pro-life group. This from Mary Margaret Olihan, reporting it in Daily Signal. Pro-Life Sidewalk Group, Pro-Life Action Ministries, uh, was just intimidated by more FBI thugs. Two FBI agents showed up to question a pro-life activist who was praying outside of Planned Parenthood in St. Paul. 
so the, the FBI shows up and, and they're talking about the, that guy, Mark Houck. They're talking about, they're talking about the, the way that pro-lifers are being targeted in this country. And then the FBI shows up there again. You've got genuine threats to the country. BLM burning the country down for eight months, Antifa showing up all the time, Democrats murdering 18-year-old Republicans for being Republican. You've got assassination attempts on conservative justices on the Supreme Court. You've got Republicans being harassed everywhere they go. You've got, you've got this, that, and the other thing. The FBI is only focused on the pro-lifers, harassing the pro-lifers, which, which makes me blame the agents. I say this just like I said it yesterday. Yes, there are good people who work for the FBI and they do good work. Certainly they did in the past. These days, who knows what the FBI is up to other than this kind of targeting. At this point, though, I blame the agents. These two agents should not have gone out there. They should refuse these orders. Uh, very often at schools, people will come up to me or any speeches I give. People come up to say, it's the same question. Every, every speech without fail. Michael, how do I know when to stand up for my beliefs and how to just sort of go along to get along, get another paycheck, make it through another day, get my degree, get my promotion, and then I can be conservative? And you go, it goes back to that issue I was talking about earlier. It goes back to prudence. It's not just that, you know, you show up freshman year of high school and your teacher is a little bit liberal and you walk into class with a MAGA hat on blowing a trumpet and you say, we will, we will destroy all of you libs, you know, like, like Khrushchev banging your shoe on the lectern at the UN. We will destroy you. We will bury you. No, you don't need to do that. You don't need to be totally flamboyant with your views all of the time, but you can't just roll over. You can't just give up because then there, there won't, if you just constantly cave on your beliefs or refuse to stand up for them, then okay, you get through freshman year, but then you'll stand up for it when you're an upperclassman. Except you got to get into a good college. Okay, well, you'll, but you, then when you're in college, you'll, you'll stand up for your beliefs. Oh, except you got to get that good job, don't you? Okay, so once you get the job though, then you'll stay, well, except you, now you're a first year at this job. You should probably keep your head down. Once you get that promotion though, that's okay. Until you're in middle management. Wow, but now, you know, look, you got a family to feed. You probably can't rock the boat too much. All right, well, once you're the CEO and then, well, okay, you became a CEO. That's great. But you're responsible to your shareholders or to your investors. So, okay. And then eventually you die and you've never done anything. And you've never stood up for any of your beliefs and you've gone along to get along. Prudence is a good way to, to measure when things have gone too far. When the president is using his political appointees to send federal law enforcement out almost exclusively to harass good, peaceful people doing good, peaceful things, standing up for the most vulnerable people in society, little tiny babies who are being murdered en masse by the libs with the encouragement and the funding of the Biden administration. When you, when you see something that is so clearly good versus evil, you've got to stand up and you cannot say, well, I was just following orders. Well, I was good. No, this is it. This is the time. This is the time, FBI agents. For those FBI agents listening to this show, this is the time. Refuse the orders. Have integrity. I, I pro, you might lose your pension. I don't know. You might lose some money. But I promise you, you're going to feel a lot better than in 10 years, 20 years. Hey, daddy. Hey, grandpa. What did, gosh, golly, what did you do in the FBI? Oh, I pointed guns at the children of pro-life advocates. 
because my boss, the president, was just maniacally focused on killing babies. So that's what I did, Sonny. I served my country. That's right. I harassed little grannies in the street, and I ignored it when the pro-life grannies got shot by the lunatic pro-abortion people. I just, I just spent all my time defending the right, the right, quote unquote, of the pro-abortion people to kill more babies. That's what I did. Aren't you proud of me, Sonny? <laughs> no, no, they won't be proud of you. They won't be proud of you at all. Speaking of the Biden administration and death, Joe Biden just stepped in it again, as he often does. Joe Biden, and by it, I mean his mouth. He put his foot right in his mouth. He was at an event, the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health, and as he was doing his slap you on the back, simpering, hey there, buddy, kind of politician routine, he asked where, where one member of Congress is, a woman named Jackie, and uh, bizarrely and unfortunately, Jackie is dead. And so many of you know so much about this as well, and you're committed. And I want to thank all of you here for in- including bipartisan elected officials like Representative Governor, Senator Braun, Senator Booker, Representative Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? I didn't think she was, she was going to be here. Where is, where is Jackie? So if you look at the people who were involved in this issue, the only person named Jackie would be Jackie Walorski, a Republican member of Congress from Indiana who died a month ago in a car accident. If, if Joe Biden were your grandpa and, or Joe Biden were some aged member of your family, and he said this sort of thing, you would not be surprised. You know, sometimes people who are senile and in decline, they forget these things, they forget, they, they forget who's died, and they don't keep up on the news. But Joe Biden is the president of the United States. Joe Biden should be following the news, at least. Joe Biden should know when a member of Congress dies. These are the people that he's got to work with or fight against to get legislation passed. This is not just, oh, well, you know, look, there's a lot of members of Congress. Well, the president's got a lot on his plate. Yeah, I, that was a pretty big news story when she died. And members of Congress are pretty important to the president in both parties. He should, he should know this. And the fact that he doesn't, again, I think buttresses my thesis, that Joe Biden is not running the show. There's a big debate, even on the right. Is Joe Biden really in charge? And people I res- whose opinions I respect came, came out and they said, no, I think Joe Biden is in charge. You know, the buck stops with the president. Okay, we can't just blame it on some shadowy cabal. I think he really is giving the calls. No, I think everything that we've seen in the last year and a half, or more than a year and a half now, shows that Joe Biden is not really the one making these calls. Actually, the evidence of this, by the way, is that when Joe Biden makes a statement on policy himself, that contradicts what the powers that be want, then the White House comes out and clarifies and changes the, the, the policy. You saw this especially when Joe Biden said, yeah, we're going to defend Taiwan. We're going to defend Taiwan. And then the White House came out and said, no, 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 we support the one child policy, one child policy, the one China policy, not the one child policy, which not even China supports anymore. Well, what is the White House? You see this report. The White House said, right, it's using a, a, a literary tool to, to say that, referring to this building as the power that, that is making these decisions. But Joe Biden is supposed to be the executive who represents that power. So how is Joe Biden at odds ever with the White House? Well, there, 
right? They're both, they're both metonyms, they're, and they're supposed to be the same metonym, but they're not. Why? Because Joe Biden is obviously not calling the shots. Now, the White House had to come out and clarify, and in this case, Karine Jean-Pierre, the president's spokesman, once again, gaslit the press and the American people and said, oh, I don't think there's anything weird about the president asking where the, the dead member of Congress was at the event. Does the president think that she's living and in the room? I don't find that confusing. I mean, I think many people can speak to sometimes when you have someone top of mind, they're a top of mind, exactly that. Uh, and it is also, if you put it into the context, it's not like it happened without, outside of context, right? It happened at an event. Uh, where we were, um, uh, we were calling out the champions, uh, congressional champions in particular of this uh, issue, this important issue uh, when it comes to food insecurity. He was at an event, you all saw, you all watched, which is why you're asking the question, right, where he was calling out, again, uh, congressional leaders, uh, a bipartisan uh, leadership that we have seen on this particular issue. And uh, again, he's going to see her family in just two days. And uh, she was on top of mind. I mean, I don't, that is, <laughs> I mean, that is, uh, that is not an unusual, uh, unusual scenario there. It's not unusual when senile people get confused and think that dead people are still alive. That is not unusual. If you've ever had a, pa a parent or a grandparent who's fallen into senility, you will always say, hey, where's Aunt? Aunt Josephine. It's like, oh, Grandma, Aunt Josephine died 20 years ago. That's not unusual. It's unusual when the president of the United States does that. It's unusual when we've got a completely senile president. And it's just this gaslighting that drives me so crazy. It, it's actually somewhat similar to what we're seeing from the media with the Lizzo James Madison flute saga, where Lizzo is allowed to play this flute and jiggles on stage in this sort of pornographic costume, this obscene, grotesque sort of performance. He goes, I'm playing James Madison's flute, the father of a constitution. Look at my little jiggling, wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. And then, and then you say, oh, that's not, that doesn't seem right. And you say, why? What's wrong with that? What's wrong? Why are you so offended by that? What? You're obviously trying to offend me. The, th the whole performance is offensive and gross and grotesque as a historical matter and just as an aesthetic matter. It's just gross. And, and you're doing it intentionally to get a rise out of me. And then when you do get a rise out of me, you gaslight me. You say, why, why, why is that so offensive? What's, what's so wrong? It's like they're just standing there like, hey, hey, not touching, not touching. You know, they're moving their hands right one inch from your face. Not touching, not touching. And then you smack their hand away. They say, why'd you hit me? Why? Come on, why, are you so triggered? No, you're obviously trying to provoke me and get get a rise out of me. Now you're, you're gaslighting me about it the whole time. That's what I find. I, I find it even more offensive than, than Joe Biden calling out a, a dead Congress, Congress lady's name. Yeah, he's senile. Okay. I don't, I, it's, it's weird. It's sad, but I don't, I find it much more offensive when you gaslight me about it. I find it much more offensive, even than when Lizzo does this grotesque display with James Madison's flute. I find it much more offensive when you then gaslight me and say, why? What's so wrong? What's wrong with that? Are you just a big racist, sexist, thisist, thatist? No, I'm not, I'm not any of those things. I'm just a normal person. Do you like money? Normal people like money. Specifically, do you like making companies money, saving companies money, making other people save money who would otherwise spend it? Well, have we got a job for you? Daily Wire has a Nashville-based opening for a chief financial officer. The CFO will oversee our accounting, FP&A, and ad sales teams. Eight to 10 years of experience in financial management is ideal. 
as is someone who is energized by the Daily Wire mission and ready to operate at an intensely fast pace. Prior relevant experience within an established media or subscription-based organization is required. Agility as a leader is key. The company is in hyper-growth mode, and we constantly break and rebuild things to successfully scale at the rate that we do. If this sounds like you, head on over to dailywire.com careers to apply. Speaking of Democrats downplaying unpleasant things, John Fetterman, who is in a neck-and-neck race with Dr. Oz down over in Pennsylvania, John Fetterman is a radical left Democrat. He said infamously that if he had a magic wand, he could change whatever he wanted to change about society. The thing that he would do is he would let murderers out of prison. That's not out of context. I'm not speaking hyperbolically. That's actually what he said. John Fetterman, who never held a real job in his whole life, who presents himself as a working class hero in his hoodie, and he's a tough looking guy. He was actually just on his parents' allowance. And when I say allowance, I'm not talking about the $2 a week you got as a kid. I'm talking about 50 grand plus per year to support his sort of vagabond, derelict lifestyle. John Fetterman just removed a certain section of his website. But because the internet is forever, we got to see it. John Fetterman has just removed the Black Lives Matter section of the website, which is really, really weird. Does John Fetterman no longer believe that Black Lives Matter? Is John Fetterman admitting that Black Lives Matter is a sort of distasteful organization that's obviously just a criminal enterprise anyway, and and not one to, to tout your support of when you're running for Senate? Or, and this is most important, Does John Fetterman still support the BLM organization? But does John Fetterman realize that BLM is not a popular organization among actual voters? Because what we've been told by the press, by the ruling class, is, oh, BLM is wonderful. It's the voice of the people. Oh, we all the good people support BLM. I think, I don't know. I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people of all races all around the country, both political parties. I know very few people, some, but, but few people who actively support BLM because BLM is a criminal organization that burned the country down and killed dozens of people and embezzled tens of millions of dollars. And it's just a total shakedown racket that would make the five families in New York blush, okay? During their heyday, the, the, the mafia in New York was not as brazen as the BLM organization over the past several years. And what the Democrats are admitting, they're implicitly admitting this. They don't want to actually say it out loud in these words. But what John Fetterman is admitting by taking that off his website is, yeah, people don't really like this. And it's it's just like the mob, actually, which is, you know, when the enforcers come to your door, they say, hey, do you have a problem with Don Luigi over there? You say, no, no, I love Don Luigi. Oh, he's great. Oh, you guys do wonderful work. Please, here, have a little bit more money, please. It's just like when the TV cameras show up, they say, hey, knock, knock, hey, you love BLM, right? Oh, yeah, I love BLM. Oh, BLM's great. I, I, it's my favorite organization. I changed my social media picture to a black square. Please, take more money. Here, you can have some more money. During, during the riots in LA, businesses were posting signs in their door, and they'd say, we're black people. Please pass over us, agents of death. <laughs> Go get whitey. Don't get, we don't want, and, but you know what else they would post? The receipts from their donations to BLM. Just just like the mafia, worse than the mafia. 
And as in the case with that mafia, when, pe- when you get people actually in a private conversation, you say, you really support BLM? I'd say, well, you know, they have killed people. <laughs> you know, well, they do say, it does seem kind of like a shakedown. Well, that lady who founded it, why does she have so many multi-million dollar mansions and some of the nicest property in America? No, the Democrats know that that doesn't play in public. And so as they head into the midterms, makes me feel as though there is at least some integrity left to our electoral system. That The Democrats don't want to completely alienate the voters, but they're trying to downplay all of this. Do not be fooled. Do not be fooled. The fact that it took him this long to take BLM off his campaign website. Now we're, what are we, 40 days out, outside of the election? Shows, t- tells you everything that you need to know. Speaking of the libs trying to control the internet, YouTube removed that viral speech of Georgia Maloney. You know, that great Georgia Maloney clip where she, she comes out, we played it on the show a couple of days ago. This is the new prime minister of Italy. And she says, why is it that you're not allowed to have a family anymore? Why is the family the enemy? Why is the nation the enemy? Why do the liberals want to take away all of our identities as a woman, as a mother, as a Christian, as an Italian? They want to do it because they want us all to be just kind of globalist consumers. Parent number one, parent number two. They, they want us to be birthing person. They want us to flood our countries with foreign nationals with no limit whatsoever. Get rid of all our traditions, all of our culture. It was a beautiful, beautiful speech, articulate, serious, addressing the real problem. So of course, YouTube took it down. Why did they take it down? Well, they said it violated community guidelines. Lizzo jiggling around more than half naked. That doesn't violate community guidelines. BLM threatening people. Forget BLM. Elected Democrats threatening Republicans. That doesn't violate community guidelines. Doctors, quacks encouraging little kids to chop off their genitals. That doesn't violate community guidelines. But a modest defense of the family and the nation, that does. Now, YouTube had to reverse course. They had to put it back up. This is censorship, again, not just of a basic idea, not just of total common sense, but of an elected head of state. This is the second time we've seen this, and I haven't seen this part of it discussed. When YouTube and Google and Facebook and Twitter kicked Donald Trump off the internet, that was a major political attack. That was a restructuring of our political order because you had a handful of oligarchs, globalist oligarchs, saying, hey, we're going to determine who gets to be in the public square, including who, whether or not the duly elected sitting president of the United States gets to be in the public square. What, what that means is, screw your democracy. Oh, you think you have a democracy? You think you have a republic? No, because in a republic, the public square is how you govern yourself. You debate things, you deliberate, you persuade your fellow citizens. Not only are we not going to let you, regular private citizen, into the public square, you, that guy that you elected through your democratic processes, yeah, he's not going to be allowed in either because we rule you. It was a shocking power grab by the globalist oligarchy against the American people and our Republican form of government. And now they, they just did it again with Georgia Maloney right after she got elected. They reversed course for now. The blowback was too intense. They are going to keep doing this. This is how I know this woman is great. It's, how I know, it's why I like this woman. 
Then I went on and I listened to what she said, and I looked, listened to the people that she was quoting, G.K. Chesterton, Roger Scruton, all of these wonderful, and I thought, wow, this is a serious woman. She really knows what she believes. She's really gotten things done. But forget all of that. The fact that, that YouTube and the sort of globalist oligarchs hate her, it takes me 80% of the way to say, I bet she's terrific. This is how I feel about Republican politicians too. Someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example. She gets pilloried. People call her all sorts of names. They attack her. She's not couth. She's not this. She's, she didn't go to some fancy schools. She doesn't speak in the most eloquent way a lot of the time. Oh, please. Even This is from the conservatives. Forget about the liberals who hate her guts. But even the conservatives, oh, we don't need to associate with her. I don't know. She wasn't precise in how she described. Okay, sure. I, I'll, I'll take all of those criticisms. I still like her. Why do I like her? Because the libs despise her. And they, they seem to despise her for all the right reasons. It, I can't, it, it's very easy to say Marjorie Taylor Greene, she's so awful, she's so terrible. It's very hard to point to the thing that she did that's so singularly bad. What is it? What is the thing that she said or did that's so singularly awful that conservatives should dump her? Can you, I don't know, I can't, I haven't found it. If you find it, let me know. I, I haven't, with Maloney, oh no, she's, she's a fascist. Is, is she? Okay, what did she say or do that's so bad? Oh, she, oh, you don't, no, you don't, look, it's Italy, you don't understand. No, I said, look, I speak Italian, I'm Italian, show me. I'll, I'll translate for you. Show me the line that she said that's so bad. Well, no, it's, and it's just all this insinuation. And it's all this Im, implication. But I don't. I can't find what it is. As far as I'm concerned, this is my rule of thumb. If the libs hate you and are out to get you and try to silence you and do their best to kill your career, I'm going to start at least from the position of assuming you're a pretty, pretty great person. And before we go with Maloney, I've got to get to one little clip. I know we'll run a little over, but I don't care. I've got to get to one clip with Maloney. Maloney comes out, uh, Emmanuel Macron attacked Maloney. So the, the head of France attacks the new head of Italy and says she's irresponsible and she's this and she's that. And instead of just sitting back and taking it, here's what Maloney said. Emmanuel Macron described us as, as cynics, irresponsible, disgusting. And the Italian press said, did you hear what Macron said? He said we're irresponsible. What a shame. The irresponsible Emmanuel Macron are those who bombed Libya because they were concerned that Italy would get good energy concessions from Gaddafi and left us with the chaos of illegal immigration that we, we are now confronting. The cynics Emmanuel Macron are the French who sent the uh, gendarmerie to, to, to return the immigrants back to Italy when, the, when those same illegal immigrants crossed from Italy into France. And, and most of all, and because things have to be said right, and she goes on about the disgusting. Okay. I love this. This is, this is like when you, when you go to prison and they say on the first day of prison, you got to go punch the biggest, scariest looking guy you, you can see there. You got to go in sort of guns blazing, swinging, you're ready to go and establish who you are. That's what she's doing. This woman was elected two or three days ago. And she goes in, she says, I'm not going to take any of this crap from anybody. And she's setting the tone and she's not backing down. 
And I say, thank goodness, thank goodness, in this moment where people are on the fence and they're squishing and they say, oh, I don't know, is now the moment? Maybe I'll just follow orders. Maybe I'll just go get by. No, now is the time, folks. Okay, now is the time. The attacks on our traditional way of life have become so unbelievably intense. So, so many of us never thought we'd get this far down the slippery slope. Transing the kids, desecrating all of our revered national figures, pornography everywhere, radical redefinitions of the most basic institutions. Now, it's, now is the time. Now is the time for the member block, okay? The rest of the show is continuing now. We moved Woke Wednesday to Thursday because I was on the road. So we've got a video from the New York Times. I have not seen it yet. I have been told this, even by New York Times standards, is really, really horrific. So I can't wait. That'll be great. If you don't want to miss it, if you're not a member, head on over, click the link in the description and join us.